Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Thanks again for joining us. I'm just going to pray before we, we come to God's word. Father in heaven, we want to thank you. We want to praise you. We thank you for your presence with us already. And Lord, as we turn to your word now, we want to ask that you would reveal yourself, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would speak to us and that we would listen to soften our hearts to receive all that you have in store for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. My grandfather, who we called Papa, was a farmer. And he kept a few cattle, and but mainly he kept hens that led eggs. And I can remember very clearly just the excitement and, and also the slight nervousness as a young boy collecting eggs from the hen house. And I, lo- I love to spend time with Papa and I've got so many happy memories working. Well, I, I thought I was working. I'm sure it's probably more of a nuisance than a help to him. But just spending time being alongside him was, was just great. And Papa worked hard. He, he threw himself into everything that he did. And there, there are two things that he seemed that seemed to make him very happy. The first was a sledgehammer. You put a sledgehammer in his hand, give him a wall to knock down, and he was in his element. The second thing was church. He was a devout Methodist and and when he wasn't working at home, he was normally doing something in his local church. He just never seemed to sit still. In fact, probably the only time that he would sit down during the day was on a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning for the church service. It's one of those few times in which he relaxed. And, and we would occasionally go along with Papa and Granny to to their church on a Sunday evening. And what I can remember from those services was me and my brother checking our watches to see how long it would be before Papa fell asleep. Because without fail, by the time the preacher started his sermon, Papa would begin to relax. And probably just with the warmth of the building, he began to get sleepy. His eyes would begin to close And I don't think I can really remember him lasting more than probably about five minutes into a sermon before he began to doze off. So when I read the story of Eutychus in Acts chapter 20, I can't do it without thinking of Papa. But this story of a young lad falling asleep while listening to Paul preach a lengthy sermon has, has always, it's always intrigued me. It may be just linked to the memory of my grandfather. It may be because I've got some sympathy with him. See, as a young teenager growing up, I can remember sitting in church on a Sunday evening and just struggling to keep my eyes from closing. But when I... When I read this story, I can't help but wonder why Luke chose to tell this story and yet almost certainly left other stories out of his book. What is the purpose of this narrative? 
Well, let's read what, what Luke writes in Acts chapter 20, we're in verses 7 through to verse 16. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where we met. I want you to take a moment. I want you to imagine this scene if you can. The room is crowded. It's dark. It's lit by oil lamps. The, the air's thick. There's a, this oily smoke in the, in the atmosphere. You can smell it just lingering in the air. Are you there? You, can, you, can you begin to imagine? And people are listening intently to Paul. Verse 9. Seated in a window was a young man called Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Now, Eutychus is a, is a young lad. He's probably aged between 8 to 14 years old. So he, he's a servant. He's had a very busy day and he's sitting down for the first time that day. It's not surprising that he's feeling tired. He's feeling sleepy. His eyes are beginning to, to close and, and, and Paul's voice begins to fade. It's mingling with the noise going on in the background. Eutychus becomes more and more drowsy until he falls asleep. When he was sound asleep, verse 9, he fell to the ground from the third story and he was picked up dead. What? This is, this is tragic. And, and I don't want you to skip over the emotions of the story. See, we, we can get to know our Bible so well, particularly these stories so well that we miss out on all of the drama that's going on. Can you imagine this happening in one of our meetings? The shock, the, the, the panic, the, the, what, are we, what are we going to do about this? How, how could this even have happened? And you can just imagine the frenzy, the just the activity, the rushing around, the, the, all of this going on, everything stops. Verse 10. Paul went down. He threw himself on the young man. He, he puts his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's Alive, really? Alive? This, this is amazing. Sadness turns to rejoicing. Some people who are watching are, are, are in disbelief. A, a, a dead boy has been brought back to life. It's a, it's a miracle. Yet, yet, there seems to be a sense in which this does not feel unusual or even surprising to Paul and to most of the believers in Troas. This is a community of faith who expect the unexpected. So what happens next? 
they carry on with the meeting. They just keep going. Verse 11. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young boy home alive and, and they were greatly, greatly comforted. Verse 13. We went on board to the ship and we sailed to Astos, where we were going to take Paul on board. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us and asked us, we, we took him on board and we went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and we arrived off Chios. The next day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived in Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, before the day of Pentecost. So Paul's on this way, this journey to Jerusalem, and he's not been able to get there before the annual Passover feast. So his goal is to try and arrive in Jerusalem at least before Pentecost and, and Paul wants to get there as quickly as possible but there are also groups of people that he, he wants to see before he does. He's determined to see the leaders in the churches of Ephesus so he arranges to meet them in Miletus it tells that in verse 15. But for now Paul rejoins his gang and his companions in Troas where this remarkable story is played out. It would appear that Dr. Luke was also there for this last leg of the journey. So, so when we read verse, these verses in, in chapter 20, Luke is describing from first-hand experience the events of the local church meeting in Troas. And, and we get to hear about this last and rather eventful night that Paul was with them. We get some idea of how this early church met. Although it's not the main focus of this story, and we'll come back to the main focus later on. But this does give us an interesting insight into what the early church would have looked like. So some thoughts on that first. It was a Sunday. The first day of the week and it's not the seventh day, which was the, the normal Jewish Sabbath. And it would appear that, that Sundays have now seemed to become the day of the week in which Christians chose to gather together. But why the change? Well, it may have been because that, that this was the day that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And, and we should also remember that the first day of the week was also when the church was born, when when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And throughout the book of Acts, we, you'll have noticed this gradual shift going on away from Jewish traditions as there's more and more Gentiles involved within the Christian faith. See, during the early years of the church, believers kept some of those Jewish regulations. 
such as the hours of prayer or maybe meeting on the Sabbath. But as time has gone on, they have moved away. They've developed their own patterns of worship as the Holy Spirit has taught them. And it's, listen, it's so important that we, we don't get bogged down in our own traditions, but that we are opening, sorry, that we are open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So challenging as it has been to hold services on Zoom in these days, this has also, I think, been a real opportunity for us to do church very differently, to, to break away from perhaps even unnecessary traditions. So it's particularly important as we slowly begin to come back out of lockdown, as we begin to open up our buildings again over the next few weeks and months, that we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. That we are obedient to the divine word of God. How is God directing us in these days? And we need godly wisdom over the decisions that we make in these days because our focus, our focus must be to increase our gospel impact into our community. So how can we best do that with the opportunity that God has given us? The second thing we notice about this early church is that the church met on an evening. Sunday would just have been a normal working day. So people would not have been free during the day. Some of the believers would also have been slaves and, and would really would have not been able to attend meetings until their work had finished. They met in an upper room. There's no church buildings for them to gather in. This would most likely have been a private home of one of the believers. And the church would have been this mix of people, diverse in so many ways, with many distinctives, but with one thing in common, they were all one in Christ. And this was one new humanity where every tribe, every tongue, every nation was welcomed. And there's such a need for the church to embrace diversity and equality today. And this has been brought to our attention in recent weeks. And it's, and it's so important as a white majority church that we we do not that we don't become complacent about the way in which we treat our, our black brothers and sisters. And after speaking to some of my black friends and reading some books, one of the books I find particularly helpful is Ben Lindsay's book, We Need to Talk About Race. It describes what it is to understand the black experience in a white majority church. And it has become increasingly clear that as white people, we do not understand our privileged positions or what black men and women have to deal with on a daily basis in the workplace, in society, what even their children get called at school. Listen, the, the, the tragic thing about all of this is that we have got no idea how endemic racism is within society. When you start talking to people you begin to realise and it breaks your heart. 
You know, I think as a church, we, we want to value everyone. We want to make sure that everyone feels heard. But the reality of that is that we have got some work to do in this particular area. And, and I just want to say publicly that, that I'm sorry when you haven't been listened to or when you haven't felt valued. Listen, we need to work together. We, we, we need more black men and women within our leaderships, in our churches, not just in ours, but across New Frontiers, across our nation, because words and sentiments are not enough. It must be lived out in our community. And freedom needs to be a place where everyone is valued because that is the heart of the gospel. And this is challenging. As Catherine Booth, who founded the Salvation Army with her husband William, once said, to better the future, we must disturb the present. To better the future, we must disturb the present. And God is certainly shaking things up at the moment. And, and, and so these are days of opportunity. But we must seize them. The third thing about this early church is that they, they act together. And Luke says that they came to break bread in verse 7, but which would appear, of course, to refer to the Lord's Supper. Whereas in verse 11, it seems to suggest perhaps a more regular sort of meal. So which one was it? Was it a meal or was it the Lord's Supper? Well, the answer is that it probably they probably didn't distinguish between the two. Their gatherings just seemed to centre around food. Perhaps something like a bring and share, which they would just eat together. And then afterwards, they'd take the bread and the wine and they would observe the Lord's Supper. By sharing and eating with one another, this church enjoyed fellowship and it also just give a witness of their oneness in Christ. Slaves would eat at the same table as their masters. This was something that had been unheard of in that day. This oneness is so beautiful, it crosses cultures and societies, it, it breaks down barriers and yet it still celebrates their differences and yet enjoys true equality. This is the model that we must embrace. And it would seem that the church had communion probably every Sunday when they met for fellowship and for worship. In fact, some believers would have even ended their regular meals at home by taking the bread and the wine and remembering the Lord's death. So though the Bible doesn't give us very specific instructions on this matter, the example of the early church should encourage us to take bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus as often, as often as we can. While at the same time, we must make sure that, that communion does not just become a routine. So we, we don't want to miss out on the blessing that comes through celebrating together in this way. It is a precious, it's a sacred moment with divine implications for those who are joined together in Christ. The fourth thing that we notice here is this, that the word of God was always declared in their gatherings. 
the public reading of the Old Testament scriptures as well as whatever apostolic letter had been received was very important to the early church. And we must never neglect the reading and the the declaration of God's word in our services. Of course, preaching is not a new idea. Its origins can be traced right back into the Old Testament. The truth is that, that preaching is found in God himself and in his nature. In Psalm 31 verse 5, refers to God as a God of truth. In 1 Samuel 2, 3, as a God who knows. So it's no surprise that this exhortation to preach is found throughout scripture and there are a few places however where it is more explicitly spelled out than when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 and he simply tells him preach the word. In the early church preaching was just a key part of church meeting together which is also why in Chapter 20, Paul just preaches and he preaches and then he preaches just a little bit more. Never complain about the length of our sermons. Compared to Paul, we do not speak long at all. But part of the reason for Paul's lengthy sermon was he seems to know that this was going to be the last time that he's going to be with the saints in Troas. So he doesn't waste the opportunity. Paul preaches until morning. And this is how important the word of God is to the people of God. The the preaching and the teaching of God's word must be emphasised. In many church settings today, there's been this shift away from preaching to an overemphasis, maybe, of celebration and music and singing. But... It is the word of God that edifies the soul. It it needs to be read. It needs to be preached. It needs to be declared with authority. At At the beginning of this talk, I posed the question. What was Luke's purpose in recording this story? You see, I don't think that he was suggesting that the church in Troas was the perfect model for every church. Helpful as some of the insights, of course, may be. Nor do I think that he was emphasising the importance of making sure you chose your seat carefully. Don't sit on window ledges. Is that the big idea of the story? It's certainly true. Eutychus did make a bad decision in choosing the window seat, getting some fresh air away from the, la- the burning lamps and the oily smoke turned out to be a very bad idea. But no, that's not the reason for this story. So what was it? The point of this story, why Luke includes it, is the revelation and the demonstration of the power of God. You see, whether it was due to the lateness of the hour and the stuffiness of the room or perhaps a combination of all of those things, Eutychus, just like my papa, fell asleep. 
but then he falls out of the window and he, he's killed. And what happens next is the most incredible miracle. Paul's embrace restores this young man back to life. It is reminiscent of the, the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha who raised boys back from the dead in 1 Kings 17 and in 2 Kings 4. But it also reminds us of Peter and Joppa raising Tabitha to life in Acts chapter 9. And, and we've seen in the book of Acts these parallels that exist between Peter and Paul. And Luke is very keen to show us that Paul is just as much an apostle as Peter is. But here's Luke's point. Here's his big idea that we, we need to understand that the same God who was at work in the Old Testament prophets is the same God who is at work in the New Testament apostles. And it should leave us asking the question, if the power of God was able to restore life in the Old Testament, and if he was able to restore life in the New Testament, what does that mean for us today? Surely it means that God has not changed. In fact, God does not change. Surely it means that God is willing and that he is able and that he is powerful to work through you and me. And I think why I find this story so fascinating and why I've wrestled with it is that it all comes down to this. For the dead to be raised, we need the power of God. And I, I long to see greater manifestation of God's power. See, when God's power is present, when God's power is demonstrated in our gatherings, death is replaced by life. Because Holy, the Holy Spirit is at work among God's people and the result, and the result is faith. Our faith is strengthened. And we receive divine comfort and encouragement. And what happens in death-defeating moments is a work of the Spirit of God. And, and today we can experience, we can be used by God in these life-giving ways. And, and as God's power comes, as God baptizes us, as we are immersed, as we are overflowing with the Holy Spirit, the church today needs more of that power, does it not? You and I need more Holy Spirit power. It's the only conclusion that we can come to. So if God has not changed, and he hasn't, the problem lies with us. The church has become like Eutychus, sleepy. It needs to be wakened up. It needs Holy Spirit unction. And if you are going to have faith to see the dead raised, you need supernatural power. And, and whether that is a physical resurrection or a spiritual one, it doesn't matter. 
we need the power of God. By the way, I'm not suggesting for a moment that this story is some sort of spiritual metaphor. No, this lad was dead, deceased. His physical life had ended. But the power of God through faith of Paul raised him back to life. So listen. It doesn't matter whether you want to see the dead literally raised or those who have fallen asleep spiritually awakened, the answer is still the same. We need God to turn up. We need his power, a work of his spirit. It's only the supernatural manifestation of God powerfully turning up in our midst, the work of Almighty God. It's only when he shows up that we have hope. It's only through God that we bring life to otherwise comatose bodies. We need him. As I was preparing this, I, I really I felt that this story was something of a prophetic picture that, that has still got relevance for us today. I think that God is maybe saying to some of you that that just like the lad in this story, you're sitting on an edge. That you're in a precarious position that's risky. And you know the word of God. But you've moved away. You've distanced yourself. And God is calling you. He's saying to you, wake up. You know, I can remember back in as a child sitting in that service with my granny and papa and his papa would begin just to drop off to sleep granny would do this big dig in the ribs jump up <laughs> get him back waking him back up to listen to hear see even though he maybe can still hear the word of god it's not as clear as it used to be because something has gotten in the way. And sin is just pulling you down. It is dulling your ears. And, 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 and what you keep telling yourself is this. I feel too tired. It may be an excuse, but you say over to yourself, I feel just too tired. Is that you this morning? It's become difficult to listen. So you've moved away. You've moved on to that window ledge. And I want to warn you this morning, you are in danger of falling. And I feel that God would want to say to you, take heed of my word. I want you to listen again. You, you need to wake up. This is what God's word says to you today. He says, awaken, O sleeper, rise from the dead that Christ will give you light. And, and there's a command here, the command, wake up. But there's also a promise that Christ will give you light. He will shine on you. So God would simply say, you need to listen to my promises because I haven't left you. 
call on the name of Jesus, my son, be saturated with my spirit and walk in step with me and do it now. Do it now. This passage is, is very clear. That even when you think there is no hope, there is always hope in Christ. And there's always a chance to come back because God's grace is able to save you to the uttermost. And I want to I wanna speak out in the power, in the authority that is, that is mine in Christ Jesus. I want to proclaim truth over your life this morning. I want you to receive it. You do that. I want you to stand on another promise of God found in Romans chapter 8 verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Let me read again. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. By faith, as you've received him, he lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living with in you. And what he did for Elijah and what he did for Paul, he will do for you. So I declare over you this morning, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. I want to say death. Death be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to walk in the authority that Christ has given you. I want you to walk in the Spirit's power today to live for him, to honour him. Father, we want to know your power. It's a gift from you. And so, Lord, we cry to you, fill us. If you haven't been baptised in the Holy Spirit, when I cry to God, ask God, Holy Spirit, come. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, come baptise those that just need to be overwhelmed with your Spirit for fresh power, for fresh equipping. I want you to be filled, filled again, overflowing with God's presence this morning, that you would step out this day, this week, in God's power, that you have faith to speak to those that are dead, to come back to life in the name of Jesus.